Hello and welcome to the Property Management Show. I'm your host, Alex Osinenko. My day job is a CEO of 4.5, a marketing company that works exclusively with fee-based property management companies. I spent the last seven years of my life helping property management companies become more successful by improving sales, marketing, and operational efficiency. On this show, we'll deconstruct success into its key components and invite subject matter experts to help you improve every facet of your business. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey, so this is Alex, um, and thank you for uh, joining our podcast. I have a very special and uh, um, interesting guest today. Her name is Lisa Wise, and she's with a company called Nest. Lisa, do you call your company Nest DC, or is it just simply Nest? Nest DC is usually how we refer to it. Yeah, so as we go through this show um, and interview, you guys may want to navigate to Nest nest-dc.com to kind of get exposed to the actual website of Lisa's company and um, kind of get the um, idea of what they're all about on your own as you listen to this interview. But uh, I've met, I haven't really met Lisa, but I came across Lisa's website by random accident as we were doing uh, sort of page fights, so to speak, on a property management webinar with Lead Simple. Um, this was one of the websites that was assigned to me to review for conversion optimization advice. And as I was reviewing a bunch of other websites, I stumbled upon Nest. And as soon as I plugged that into my browser, I was, you know, right away taken, um, taken on a good uh, tour of that website. It, you know, and actually it was, it, it was enjoyable. I really liked how the website laid out. I really liked um, the video. The video was like six minutes. You would think nobody watched that long of a promo video, but I did. It was very interesting. Everything's very well done. So I wanted to meet the person behind the company and um, talk to her about you know what it took to build Nest DC and where she's going with it. So Lisa, last I heard on the podcast about 10 months ago that you, uh, I think it was called Executive Leader Radio, um, you mentioned that you guys are about, what, 500 properties, 2.5 million run rate. That was 10 months ago. Where are you guys at now? We're in that same place for an SDC, but we've actually spun out our portfolio. So we separated the residential management side of our work, and, and that falls under the umbrella of Nest DC. Um, we've pulled our association management out of that portfolio, and now we manage all of the buildings and associations under Roost. So um, we're still growing. We're building out new opportunities for revenue streams, and we've tidied up the portfolio so that we can uh, really focus on, on different specialties with the two different companies. And I probably really confused everybody now by introducing a whole new company. Ah, interesting. No, I love it. It's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's the challenge. So let's, uh, let's get through that real quick and figure this out. So Roost is also your company, or is it? It is our company. Um, Roost DC is an outgrowth of Nest. It's a sister company. Nest is something I think uh, it, it has become a success because we've had an exceptional team. Without the staff, we don't have anything to offer uh, that's out of the ordinary. And I've been able to put together a loyal, dedicated, sophisticated, fun, 
motivated team of people that have made this company thrive and made it a reality. So one of the things that I wanted to do was reward those team members um, with an ownership opportunity uh, to really, you know, feel like they're um, their, their stumbling upon uh, Nest was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, and rather than split Nest up, which was logistically complicated and, and less prudent, what we did was we took the associations that we were managing out of the Nest portfolio, and we spun that work out into a sister company called Roost. And Roost DC is an LLC uh, with 11 owners. All of the Nest uh, employees were invited to become shareholders. 11 of them did, and we're now, uh, I think, we're not aware of any other employee-owned management company that isn't a family. Um, even though we do feel like a family, we're technically not a family. That is very impressive. So I was uh, and am a big proponent of making sure that, you know, it's on my profile. You know, it, happy employees make happy customers who make happy shareholders. That is the, um, uh, the per- perfect world, and that's how it works in my opinion. But... Um, what you guys did is pretty amazing. I mean, we have stock options, and we went kind of the more of a standard generic way of a uh, of a technology or startup company by, you know, offering and granting options to employees. Where in your case, you've actually spun out a division, made it into a company, and split the ownership uh, between those who are who committed to the cause. That is that is really innovative, I'd say. Uh, and yes, you're right. I have not. I've met thousands of property managers, literally. Um, throughout my career and I have not seen anything like it. So props, that's really good. So let me, let me ask you this now, that sounds really good and altruistic. How is that working for you so far and how long how long ago have you done it, the split? We're, we're approaching our second year business, uh, the, the end of our second year business as Roost and I have to say it's been one of the best decisions I've made professionally and probably the, the, the decision I'm most proud of one of the great things about working with colleagues that are also your co-owners is the buy-in, the commitments, um, the steadfast focus on high-quality customer service, attention to the brands, teamwork. Um, you're not going to get that that same level of focus and commitment from uh, an hourly employee. And you can reward employees as much as possible, but when you have an ownership at stake. Uh, and a share of the company that that you've bought into, it really lends itself to a totally different customer experience, and it's been great for business. It's been fun to work with team members that I can call my my co-owners, and I think it's it's certainly created a, a totally different experience for our customers as well, and they and they love it. So, um, you know, one of the the chief complaints that we get, particularly in the association management uh, environment, is that there's a lot of turnover. And, and when your team, uh, our co-owners, that that variable uh, goes away. When you say turnover, you mean employee turnover, right? Yeah, exactly. Employee, mm-hmm. you know, where you have port- traditional portfolio management, you've got a lot of turnover. A lot of the buildings that we work with are frustrated with, you know, one to two different managers as their point of contact annually. So it's hard to sustain the institutional knowledge that you need to perform well for those buildings if you're if you're seeing new team members, you know, every eight to twelve months. I can't I can't agree with you more. This is the, the continuity of um, pro- and progression of your team is 
paramount uh, in a service business. I'm in a service business just like you are. In fact, I model a lot of my backend operations um, after some of the most successful property management companies I work with. And, you know, I had to do with account management and, you know, account manager, assistant account manager, which you guys have property manager, assistant property manager. The, the whole point is the team is responsible for their portfolio of clients. And, you know, there's um, a lot of things can be done on the assembly line. But when it comes to relationships, those should not be on an assembly line. Those should be individualized and connected to particular individuals who have, you know, vested interest in, um, you know, doing everything they can to make sure the customer is happy. So it's all about service, and yeah, that's that's good. We um, uh, we definitely aligned here. But I want to stop you for just a second and just thank our sponsor, who's uh, um, in fact uh, the PM Growth Summit Conference, which is coming up on January two thousand seventeen. Um, it is essentially we're going to be pulling back the curtain on the biggest growth strategies in the industry, and uh, you know the agenda. The agenda includes things like strategic planning, lead generation, branding, salesmanship, sales. Uh, uh, productivity, you know, lead nurturing, strategic acquisitions, financial models, marketing automation, marketing plans, and what, and and uh, many other things in between. So this is just this conference is truly designed for the growth-minded property management entrepreneur who is looking to, you know, like Lisa, step out of the norm and and, and truly uh, um, build their business and the community around them. And Lisa, by the way, is going to be speaking at the conference. Uh, I think we're finalizing the topic right now, but I'm really excited to have um, Lisa come out to the conference. And if you guys have not seen it, go to pmgrowsummit.com, check it out, uh, look at some speakers, check out some videos, and uh, we hope to see you there. So, Lisa, I have to ask this because you have a very interesting background. So, before becoming a property manager, what did you do and how did you get into the property management business? I was a policy consultant for healthcare organization and then moved into senior leadership roles where I was either the chief operating officer or the executive director for either healthcare or environmental nonprofits. And uh, that I, I segued into that after graduating from a, a graduate program with a degree in political economy and uh, and before that a film degree, which you know I always I always joke that a film degree gets you you know a bus ticket is a little bit more valuable. It gets you at least from one at a time to the next. But um, those educational experiences, I think, you know, certainly um, prepped me for what I would do for for twelve solid years. But when I was living in Arizona, I bought a duplex an 1893 Adobe duplex. Um, and it, it penciled out to be cheaper to own something in grad school than it, it was to rent. And that was because I was actually earning income on the, the rental that I had. I loved working with my hands. I loved the idea of giving my, my neighbor and tenant a great living experience, a totally unique living experience, taking great care of the property and her. And I sort of, uh, stuck that in the back of my brain and, and started using that property to buy and manage other properties and had a nice little portfolio on the side while I pursued my nonprofit career. And when the Great Recession hit, I was really burned out of raising money because when you're in senior leadership roles in nonprofits, that's what you're doing is raising money. So I decided to pivot and start my own management company and, and do it really organically with, with really our core philosophy, which has been the same from the day we started as it is today, which is we believe high quality property attracts high quality tenants. When people are happy where they live. They make better neighbors and 
when you have a good group of neighbors, you have better neighborhoods and, and a happier, greater city. So that philosophy and, and driving agenda has always shaped what we do. It's what we hang our hat on here. And, you know, the city was ready for it and I was ready for it. So fast forward eight years and, and here we are and we have a viable company, which I, I really, you know, I went into this business with few expectations. And, and I think if, if I had had expectations, I, they would have been exceeded by now. Ah, really, really good to hear. So what were the first sort of uh, biggest, what, what, what were the first big challenges you had to overcome and how did you do it specifically? Well, maybe a little bit constructive advice for some of the uh, folks who might be starting out or, you know, early in the, their entrepreneurship, you know, uh, career for property management business. That's a great question. Billing. Billing. It's- Okay. It's really hard to ask people to pay you for your time and work. It's hard to place a value on that, particularly when nobody wants to pay for property management, right? It's like, you know, I always say the, the metaphorical equivalent of buying tires. So, you know, we were trying to redefine that experience and make it something people felt really great about buying into, but, you know, that, that took a lot of time. So billing and justifying our rates and, and helping people understand that there's value in something they may actually never really need to to leverage. I mean, at at some point, we're really, uh, property management is this great mixture of a service-based and sort of passive income, because if you're lucky, there's not a lot to be done. You you kick in when there are emergencies, and if there are no emergencies, then then you're sailing a little bit. And it's hard to always justify your value in that scenario. So billing was challenging. It it was really hard for me in the beginning to figure out how to just do do the baseline contractual billing um, and to help owners understand that you know you have to maintain your property to a particular standard or I can't manage it for you and then I feel bad if I if I approach them with you know the turnover costs or you know listen you're gonna have to have your 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 windows redone because they're you know they're not efficient or they don't open and close or you're gonna have to meet these certain requirements I sort of felt like because they were so um, put off by I think even just the having to pay for management at all having and understanding that I had to be the bearer of more financial bad news was one of the hardest parts of getting into the business and I to be honest I'm still never comfortable with it fair enough I we just had a conversation with a gentleman called uh, Dennis Yusuf he is a uh, BDM coach which is business development manager coach for property managers in Australia and he's likely going to be one of the speakers maybe even handling a couple sessions his content is so uh, refreshing. And one of the first things he said is, you know, a lot of my client challenges is they, they, they're, they're almost ashamed to uh, uh, of their fees of charging for, for the service. And what you just said, you know, it, it's, it's I, I had the same feeling, you know, because when you're charging for service, it's very hard for you to justify the value of your time, as you said, to your, uh, to your customers and, you know, figure out what the fair rate is and and you know making sure that you're actually delivering value so how did you overcome that that's very common for every service business startup i think i mean i know you're still feeling that and i'm the same you know but what have you what what measures have you put in place lisa to kind of combat that and move forward with your company growth i think when we could make the argument that you know by paying our fees and helping us ensure that the the Tenants having the best possible experience, the space is properly maintained and well cared for, that you're you're really setting the relationship up and the and this really the small business for the owner up for total success. So when you've got great property in great shape, you're gonna get tenants that take care of it and respect it. 
and ensure that it stays in good shape. So it's ultimately spending the money in us and our time and our focus and making sure you've got a great product is going to save you money over the long haul. I think once we were able to make those arguments and actually anchor them in real life scenarios and examples, it was easier for owners to really understand that. And, and even, um, you know, being able to present, you know, the idea that if you're not going to do this now in one shot, like let's say getting a turnover done, um, we'll charge you $1,500 to do that, or you can spend $3,000 in one-off visits over the course of the next year. It's, it's really the right investment right now. So it just had to be kind of another sales technique. It had to be something we really believed in, in offering a lot of value, even though the value, we still had to charge for that. Gotcha. And then, so, but what specific, how did you communicate that? So I, you know, right. So you got, you've gotten to this, uh, uh, you know, space where you believe, believed and there, you had some really good case studies. Is there a specific way you communicated? I'm trying, I guess I'm trying to fish out some specific advice for some of the folks who are dealing at, with this stage, uh, at this stage of their, of their business with this problem. Any, any specific recommendations on how to overcome that, how to communicate that to customers specifically when they raise, raise those concerns? Um, our, you know, our proposals are very transparent uh, regarding our pricing. So I think just being super upfront before people are asking you why you charge X, Y, or Z, just tell them why you charge X, Y, or Z before they ask the question. So I think being really proactive, defining the fee structure, why the fee structure is what it is, what people uh, can expect, being very transparent about all of that. I think people are concerned that they're going to get nickel and dimed. If you're clear that actually you know, this is what you're going to pay for and these are things that you can expect going forward, I think people... Uh, we'll we'll feel a little bit more trusting and I think there's a lot more confidence when you can say you know you read the proposal you were clear about our terms if there are questions that you've got we're happy to answer them but this is our fee schedule it works really well for us and not being apologetic about charging for what we do I mean we're experts um, we've learned a lot of lessons the hard way and you know offering free property management and free maintenance is one <laughs> is a pretty easy thing to uh, to slip into if you're not clear about the value that you're offering. Fair enough. Let me ask you your take, your stance on this particular uh, but, but statement. So, um, pricing, publishing pricing schedules on the website. How do you feel about that? We publish our rates, and happily so. And if someone's price shopping and they see our rates are higher, then great. They just skipped a phone call. There's no reason for us not to be very upfront about what we're charging, and and if our if our you know competitors in the field want to charge less, that's fine. Our our attitude is there's always plenty of business out there, so we want people to feel like they're finding the right fit from a property management professional, and if a percentage point here or there is going to make a difference, then then they need to follow their gut on that. So I I don't have any problem publishing our rates, and um, I think it saves the consumer some time. And it makes them feel comfortable with the transparency you're offering with regard to you know what it costs to do our business. I can't I can't agree with you more on this on this point. I think most the most successful people I speak with are of are in the same camp. I'm obviously in the same camp. Go to four and a half, you know, pricing. Everything's very detailed and laid out, and you know, and and it actually shows by you know what the growth goal is connected to the price. Uh, for the particular package offered, so you know, I, I I'm a firm believer that you know competitors are not my intent. I want to communicate to my potential customers, and if that not not ready to spend the money, 
if they're looking for a better uh, better price instead. Uh, that's you know that's that's their choice. But we want to work with you know with people that that fit our criteria as much as they want to find the best property manager or best marketing company or best whatever best plumber for their for their particular case use case. Yeah. So this is great. You and I are definitely in the same camp, and a lot of uh, uh, successful people and property managers I speak with are there. What do you take? I'm going to take pricing a little bit a step further, Lisa. Um, what do you think about offering two or three different plans versus just one, uh, you know, uh, one model that fits everyone? I have tried every version of pricing out there, and the more straightforward and simplified we could make it, the easier it was for us. So different packages generally didn't work out. We had situations where we'd say, you know, you're welcome to, um, we, we'll just offer a lease only option and then you can manage the property. And that equaled total disaster because the tenants didn't want to deal with the owners. They wanted to deal with us because that's who their relationship was with. Yeah. So, um, and owners didn't understand the complexity of being a landlord, so they were ill-prepared for that and just thinking they were going to save money, and, and actually the folks that look bad in that scenario are, are us. Um, so we sunsetted that. We sunsetted um, different versions of, you know, we're only going to do financial management, or we won't do financial management, and we'll do this or that. And finally we're like, you know what? The most successful properties we manage are those where the owner understands the value of our work and pays for us to do every part of it and then they go about their lives. And people that want to sort of slice and dice what we offer are generally the people that are gonna question our value over and over again, so we just stopped doing that. And what we offer is management of a condo or management of a house. And the fee structure is different because one is harder to manage than the other. And those are the rates and that's what we do. That That is really interesting. So, but one thing I've, uh... I've, uh, I have I want to uh, again focus bring into focus is the fact that you've tested and you went through iterations before you came to this particular point and again that another sign of many successful business owners um, as opposed to not so successful folks who think they know everything uh, or think folks who just like things easy um, or just doing the old way because it's always been done this way. It is. It's all about iteration and testing, right? Isn't it? It's. It, you'll never know until you've tried all these different things. And look, you're probably right. You you might have been a thousand unit company if if that was your goal, right? If you had all these different, uh, say, placement only, you know, lower level management and then high higher level management. But that's not your goal, is it? You, it, it, no. it, you don't want to get everything for every. You want to be everything for everybody, right? You yeah. you have a very specific niche. And I, you know, I respect that. And you guys tested, and you, you, you know, you came up with a model that works. Yeah, and we learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, you know, that's what testing is all about. You know, it's you want to fail because otherwise yeah. you just uh, you're you're not doing it right. Your your whole the, the fundamental setup for the test and the assumptions are you know, uh, incorrect. If you never fail, that means it's you never really succeeded. It's it's a status quo. Um, so that that's cool. So what is um, for the owner when you get them on the phone, Lisa? Who's the, who's the sale? Do you have a sale? Do you sell yourself, or do you have other people that do that for you? I have several people. Most of my team is cross trained to do that, um, which is a good thing because everybody can represent the company. We have three people that will generally um, rotate the sales 
calls and the leads and then follow up with the, the, the client and then sort of all, all the way to the point where they're going to get, get ready to do their leasing phase. Wait, did you say three people? We have three people on our team that will generally do that work, yeah. All right. So, And you are, let's just remind folks, how many people do you have in your company? About 21? Is that 20? Exactly. Yep. Okay. So I, I, I again, I, that's another um, distinction that I see between you know, high growth, high gear, high, high profitability entrepreneurs versus, you know, folks who are just kind of there. Um, it's these, the effort to put, um, to get the new prospective clients and find the right person. In other words, have salespeople or have people who are, who are able to sell, care enough um, to, uh, for the company, care enough to bring the, the, the right client in the door um, every time uh, the opportunity arises. So, that's one uh, distinction that Lisa's company has that I, I think is 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 a paramount for any and every property management company is looking to grow is to invest money, effort, training, uh, you know, and get the people who who are salespeople essentially and ready to represent your company um, and answer questions. So so that that is really cool. Um, what were what were some of the particulars that maybe you can reveal some cool methods to train? and help these people um, get up to speed and, and be the best salesperson of your company? We ask, um, empathy is the, is the most important thing that any of our sales reps or staff can have when they get to work each day. And I, I use the, the word pretty strong, it's, it's pretty strong. <laughs> um, we need to understand where our tenants are coming from and the experiences that they're having. We need to understand where our clients are coming from and what they're going through. We're dealing with people in highly emotional situations where they're talking about moving their major asset, which is their house. They're generally in, in, you know, in a point of transition that can be very charged. And coming to those conversations, whether it be the sales conversation or a maintenance conversation, with empathy and true respect for where those folks are are in that moment helps us be our best. It helps us be our best in our day-to-day work, and it helps, I think, represent the work that we do if someone wants to sign up with Nest or, or with Roost. So uh, we talk a lot about what each experience means for our clients. What's it, what is it like to try and prepare a property for rent? What is it, how, how are we on our end taking for granted that this is just everyday work for us when most of our owners will, this is the first and last time they'll hire a property manager. And this is the strongest impression they can get is from a company that says, we understand what you're going through. We want to make sure we're getting you through this and taking the stress off your plate instead of adding to it. I think that empathy piece is what helps us anchor the conversation in a way that keeps our clients really comfortable and, and trusting. If you enter every conversation with that empathy, uh, you're going to have better luck bringing people on board and, and, and bringing people that um, are, are going to feel good about the management relationship that they're going to have. Um, and so we spend a lot of time turning over different scenarios, understanding what it's like to pack out and, and move across the country or, or overseas, which a lot of our clients are. Uh, what it's like to be in the middle of a move from one end of town to the next, um, not going without rent, what it looks like to you know, not know how to rent something or the stress around what if I get a bad tenant, how do you vet tenants. So just putting yourself in their shoes is, is 
the most important thing. And, and then from there, what we also want each of our staff members to understand from our finance team to our maintenance team to our leasing team is how do houses and apartments work? Um, that's part of what we're selling. If we know how they work, then then we'll be trusted to take care of them once they're gone. I mean, you'll have a lot of property management companies and you'll have people triaging phone calls uh, from from anyone that, that they're concerned about, it, you know, a toilet not working properly or, you know, my AC is out in the middle of the summer and, and they won't they won't be prepped to say, change the air filter, that's probably your first best step. We spend a lot of time training our team to understand how property functions. Um, and we actually occupy a space that's very similar to one of our properties. So we all get a chance to kind of interface with our building and understand like this is what a living, breathing building is like. This is the experience that our clients are having every day. Love it. Really, really innovative. And, and uh, well, in fact, so one of my, uh, um, one of the people I follow and I listen to a lot and I aspire to is uh, called Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Gary V. Um, and one of his key uh, hiring principles that he measures um, every time he gets an interview uh, is emotional intelligence. And empathy is a really big part of it. You know, emotional intelligence is, 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 as you said, building that emotional bridge between you and a prospect and not just going through the motions and going through the script, which I strongly... Uh, I strongly advise against, to be honest with you. And, and my business partner, you know, Jordan is uh, the, on the other side of the scale. He's all, you know, all about scripted sales. And there's some space for the scripting, you know, specifically when you do cold reach outs and cold calls. But, you know, once you have somebody on the phone and you connect it, you know, my, uh, you know, I actually wrote a little book, uh, called the sales process for the property management company. And one of those things, you know, one of the key principles there is discovery and building the emotional bridge. That is the biggest differentiator between you and your competitors, not the price, not anything. It's empathy, as you said. It's ability to understand like how important this phone call to you is is nothing compared to how important this phone call to the person on the other side with the house, with the challenge, with the problem. If you don't take time to listen, if you don't ask the right questions, if you don't present the right information back to them, they're on to the next call, figuring out what the what the price point is, and you know, and they base make their decision based on price. So this is this is very critical and. And again, I'm very, I'm incredibly happy to have found you <laughs> with the principles that, that's so foundational that, and, and so core to our human kind of psychology that, 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 but nobody uses. Nobody, very few people. I've been a salesperson all my life before, before I started this company. And, you know, I, I, I'm never is, the, you know, I'm not the slickest talker out there. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know the... You know, I'm not a closer. I don't close. I'm, I'm, I can ask for an order, but I'm not shy. But I don't. You know, I'm not a closer. But I am a listener, and it's always helped me. And that's that's what I teach essentially is my salespeople as well. Is you know you got to care more than than anyone else. You know, empathy is is big part of it. So I'm really glad that uh, we got to talk about this. Hopefully, it'll convince some of our listeners to. Uh, try to build that thing. But for example, uh, what we do, we bring uh, property management clients into the office and we have them kind of talk through their day. And, and it's essentially everybody gets to ask questions. We want to immerse uh, my my team into our customers' lives and understand what it's like. You're doing very similar, right? You even have a house <laughs> that looks similar to uh, your customers that they can get touch the toilet, you know, touch the, uh, you know, see the, the filter, the, the heater and all those things, all, all the components that 
make up a house and uh, comfortable living versus just you know a, a nightmare so to speak for tenants but you know that, that's really good so so is there a specific way Lisa maybe you can teach me this uh, is there a specific way you teach empathy or how do you you know how do you d- determine if that person's got it you know besides giving them uh, opportunities and examples and getting them exposed to the challenges are there are there any specific things that you do um, to help them build that um to be honest, when we have staff that take frustrated clients really personally or when a, a situation starts to go south or doesn't work out as well as you'd like it to and they get really fr- frustrated and take it personally, um, those, are the, <laughs> those are the staff members that you want to invest in. Um, we, we talk a lot about you know how how intensely emotional this job is for everybody on our team. And I, I think while we look at it as a drawback, why can't we just leave our work at the end of the day and and not care whether or not this person's refrigerator gets replaced within the next two hours, even though they only called about it this morning. Uh, What is it about the way we do business that doesn't let us just drop things, which is, sorry, we're at the corner of ambulance and police car here. I gotcha. That, that's, yeah, that's, that sounded, uh, sounded like it. It's definitely urban. But, um, you know, we, we, we do take things really personally. I think we, we, we sometimes stumble on that. We spend a lot more emotional energy than we likely should. And from an efficiency perspective, it's, it's a losing battle, but from a caring perspective, I think it's what makes us special. If we didn't care so much, we wouldn't be as good as at what we do. And, Staff members that can blow things off and it doesn't matter and it's the client's fault or they displace blame or they don't want to ask themselves, how was I responsible for that maybe not going well? Those those folks just, they're not nesters. They're not ready to um, create a unique experience because they would like to have a unique experience. I think that's one of the ways that we at least vet for the empathy gene. Mm, they're not nesters. I like that. So there's a clear definition. Uh, between nesters and not nesters, and uh, had to, ha, have you had to fire people? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you go about doing that? I mean, it's this is a you know uh, I think as any business owners we we have to make and well I want to make a quick quick statement here. Um, it is the the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. I hate it. I don't like it. But I know for the wealth welfare and well being of our company. Some decisions need to be made, and some people are great, and that's that's especially painful because they're good. They're just not a fit, as you call. They're not nesters for you. They're not four and a half links for me. Um, how do you go about doing that? How do you go about cutting the ties? Sometimes very well, and sometimes very poorly. Mm. the The moments when I think we've we've handled it well is when we realize quickly we don't see this person being a fit, and we let them go quickly. That's better for everybody. It gets harder when you have a relationship with that person. They might get along very well with the staff. They may be nesty, but they may not have the skills they need to actually get the job done well. Those are the scenarios where you know you ask yourself over and over, well, maybe if we did this, or maybe if we did that, or it's better this week, or maybe it's, it'll be better next week because you know you have, there's a relationship. And, and one of the things that we honor above everything else is culture and staff. And if if having one of those essential staff members from a culture perspective go is is hard on everyone else but at the same time if you're investing in someone that's not 
that's not value add in the big picture, it's not fair to the rest of the people that are pulling all of their weight. So, you know, I, what we try and do when we have someone leave is really position it as an opportunity for them to be somewhere where they are going to thrive. It's not fair to anyone for someone to stay if they're not thriving. And framing it that way is sort of the best way to get there. Um, trying to keep people as part of the family, even though they're not going to be part of the team anymore, is, is the approach that we take for folks that we really cared about and liked but just weren't the right fit uh, in the long term or, or, or couldn't really do the job the way that we needed it done. And it's just, it, it just it's the pits to fire people. Um, but it's also, you know, if you're going to pick a charity of choice, it might not be that person. <laughs> so you can't. You have to do what's best for the business at the end of the day, because if the business is thriving, the people in that business will be thriving as well. Yeah, I agree, but it's always difficult. So I, 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 so I like that definition of is yeah, you know, that person may be nesty, but they're not nester. And this is an interesting and, and you know once they're nesty, right? That's the hard. That's the hard. The hard fire, right? The, 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 they're already they're part of the group. You know, everybody. They might be very uh, social and outgoing and and. And they're good culture fit, but professionally, you know, business-wise, they're just not a fit. They're not pulling, um, you know. So I, that's that's very interesting. I'm always I've always struggled with this, and uh, I'm glad to see that you struggle as well. <laughs> the struggle yeah. is real. Um, is real. So oh, all right. So now, are there any specific and um, specific ways you interview new team members that may reveal you some of that emotional intelligence? Uh, some of that uh, empathy characteristics are, you know, giving them a better chance to be a, a nester right up front. Any tricks there? <laughs> um, it, it really depends on the position that we're hiring for. Um, but generally what we do is we force them to spend a lot of time with us. <laughs> and if they can hold their own with us and all of our sort of interesting and very kind of familial interactions and the the informality plus super high expectations that we have if if they can if they can enjoy that conversation and blend well with that during the interview process and they've got ha half of the battle is done i actually we we don't really like and don't hire for we're not ever interested in people that have property management backgrounds actually um because they tend to come with bad habits. Mm. So we've got folks from every sort of walk of life. So you can't, it's not, when interviewing people, you can't ask them, you know, how would you um, deal with a, a repair that needs to be done in a client that's upset? I mean, you can ask them, like, you know, you have an upset client, what's your, what's your approach? How do you deal with people that are, you've got to walk off the ledge and, and in the direction that's still on land? <laughs> um, but it's, it's really, it just really depends on the position, but, but you have to spend a lot of time with people and we generally have different teams of folks interview so everyone can get their different impressions. And if people can get through that and still have a smile on their face and be excited about the job, then they've already passed half the test. Ah, interesting. We do something very similar. It's, it's we almost have the whole team interview and it lasts half a day and they get to say the same things, be as passionate about what they believe in and have no, um, you know, and you know, if they try to trick one person, they might be able to kind of uh, convey the passion for something they're not passionate about, but they can't do it ten times in a row. <laughs> and then that's how we interview as well. There's a lot of just, and then we collaborate as a group. And if there's one person who feels strongly against the person, we're not going to take them on. It's just yeah. uh, uh, 
even even if that person is the lowliest person on the totem pole, so to speak, we still won't take him on. Um, so so that's that's interesting. There's some similarities there. So get I guess the advice here is emerge your whole team into the interviewing process and let your um, you let your people be the character judges alongside of you and um, don't necessarily have to have an industry experience. I I think I don't really have a single marketer here that's been um, that's been marketing. I mean, I maybe have one or two that's just done it in the past. But yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. You know, we're looking for character and emotional intelligence more than the actual experience because, you know, it's not rocket science and property management isn't rocket science also. You have the right people. Skill set can be acquired if they're um if they're uh, flexible enough yeah I, I mean i always make the argument that property management is very easy and relationship management is very hard true very true so how and one last question because i think we're going and i, and I apologize taking all this time and uh, but i'm enjoying this and i also want to say i want to learn uh from you on this next question being a service business all of our listeners are myself included uh, I mean, technology-enabled service business, but service business nonetheless. Um, when do you know when to hire the next person? How, how, do, you, how do you go about do, making that decision? Uh, when people are crying at their desks. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're the same as most of us. Uh, <laughs> you know, projections are projections, but, you know, if you say they can handle, you know, this team can handle 100 accounts, that's not always the case. Sometimes you can forecast that and, and be on point but sometimes you know the 20 accounts out of the 100 that they handle bring you know 30 percent of the revenue the rest don't and yeah. they take a lot of time which is justified and blah 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 i get it so but anything beyond like beyond people crying for that they're super busy yeah well i think as an employee-owned company and a profit sharing company we now have our team is fairly motivated not to just arbitrarily add folks when we're when we're busy First of all, we need to look at the season. Is this a busy season for us? And you know, all management is cyclical. DC has its own particular cycle, and and some of that is very politically based. When the elections are happening, things like that. So we might be breathlessly busy and begging for a new staff member, and then two months two months later, it'll be much slower. So we have to ask ourselves: Can we get through the eye of the storm without committing to another payroll line? And I think when we frame it that way, people say, you know what, thinking about it, I think we can juggle some things. We've managed to um, bridge those gaps and get past those harder harder sort of high season, super intense periods by hiring temp help, which has worked to do things that are, are, are one-off that are easy to do. So we'll have folks that we know that uh, are college students that we've had come in an intern for us that are really good at doing showings and they're here for the summer and we'll have them doing showings during the summer season so that my leasing team has more desk time. So part of it is coming up with a creative solution to that crying at your desk problem. And the other part is asking ourselves, okay, what's making us busy? Let's let's study the problem that we're having that's, that, that's leading us to the question of whether or not it's time to hire. Is it because we're spending too much time doing uh, back and forth conversation. Are we doing too much data entry? Are we cleaning up systems problems? Are we trying to figure out where all the keys are to all the buildings? If the, if the answer to some of those questions is we have a systems problem, then we're obligated to try and fix the system problem first and then staff second. Um, and I think we've gotten much better at doing that for a long time. It was sort of like, you know, scoot over, we've got to add another person, add another person, add another person. I think that that ultimately penciled out for us, but we're at the point now where we're asking ourselves, 
how can we grow uh, as as much as possible with the highest possible customer service experience, both inside and outside. So we consider all of our team members customers as much as we do our clients. And if, if people are happy and we know we're doing we're, we're delivering a one of a kind and exceptional service, then fine tuning the systems is the way to go. If we feel like we're compromising, then staffing is the way to go. Uh, I like that distinction. Really cool. So this is a system problem. And uh, in a lot of cases, it might be. Um, but of course, you can't really be doing that as you're, you know, as you're scaling, just big, just starting out. It's hard to one, two, three person, a lot of hats. Um, you know, it's tough to be disciplined enough to um, review and implement systems uh, and be right about their effect on the business. But right, you know, and luckily, the fact that every system is temporary as well. I mean, your your portfolio is 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 going to collapse on your systems at some point and you're going to have to start over. And, and if you're not open-minded about what that looks like and you don't invest the time in doing it, then it can start to be really destructive uh, and cannibalize your business because you won't be able to make up for the mistakes that are happening because you just can't track certain things. Mm. Gotcha, Lisa. So I'm sorry, two more questions, uh, very short ones. Uh, one is what do you do every, as a CEO? What, what is your job? What, what, what does your day look like? What does your month look like? <laughs> great question uh, and I don't I don't actually have a good answer my in-office time is purely collaborative I spend a lot of time available to my team to answer questions problem-solve come up with new ideas a lot of business development a lot of sales a lot of project management we do a lot of construction and, and project management uh, in our company and I have a strong affection and affinity for that so I partner a lot with our, our other contractors to make sure that large-scale projects are getting done uh, so I'll spend some field time working on that. Um, that, and then growth projections, uh, looking at, at how we're going to increase the business and grow the business over time, a lot of strategic planning and things like that, working with my senior team to make sure that everything from HR to the systems to different investments we're making are the right ones, uh, and, and a lot of networking. Mm. That's generally how I spend my 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 days uh, and then getting to a lot of the client interactions uh nights and weekends it's just you know as a business owner that's interested in a in, in a growth trajectory i need to invest the time in making sure that i'm still offering a quality customer experience and i look at my my team as a customer i look at our clients as the customer so i want to make sure that i'm delivering on every promise that i've made i don't want to go out and sell something or a concept or a business or an idea or a, or a service and not be able to deliver on that from myself all the way to the person that's going to answer the phone. Mm. Very interesting, very interesting. And so well, let's let's finish with this. Um, if you and I, Lisa, talk in 12 months next year, so where where would you like to be? Uh, are there anything, any particular uh, goals or very high level stuff? Because maybe you and I will talk in 12 months and you know, I'll pull up the notes and see if uh, you've gotten there. So care to make any kind of a commitments? I'd like to see 100% growth oh. in Roost, DC. I'd like to see 25% growth in the portfolio for Nest, DC. I'd like to see 200% growth in our construction and turnover business. And I'd like to see us continue to win you know, 
Inc. 5000, the DC City Paper Best of, Best Places to Work. I want to make sure that if we're reaching out to our community and asking, are we doing our best work? The answer is yes. And I want to make sure that um, we're making a strong and meaningful impact on the community that we're part of. So I want to be able to say we were able to do this for you know the food bank and this for the Humane Society and this for our neighborhood association because you know we're representing a community that we're part of and we're obligated to make sure that we're making that community better every day. Mm, very good, very specific. Okay, I'll uh, maybe we'll touch base in twelve months and hopefully we'll uh, you'll find a bit of time to come talk to me um, and our audience uh, on something more specific later down the pike. But um, in twelve months, certainly I'd love to have you over and. Uh, see kind of where we are um lisa i really appreciate your time um and yeah. thank you for sharing uh some of this really cool nuggets of wisdom um lisa wise um here for you from nest and this is alex with four and a half until next time thank you for listening mm-hmm.